listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, uh, turn to Matthew 26. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen, but I encourage you to, uh, to take the one in front of you, open an ESV app, uh, something, and follow along. You'll get more out of our time together in God's Word if you are following along in your own copy. Well, we are through what we've, that's been called the Olivet Discourse, really the story of the end of the world. So it's the end of the world as we know it, and we feel fine because uh, we know what's going to happen, right? Just like our theologians, REM, have told us. Um, today, the text takes a completely different direction. It goes from the end of the world to a love story, to a love story. And I'm not, if you ask my wife, she would, she would be very honest and say, no, Bill's not a rom-com guy. Bill is not a love story guy. Um, so that's not my, my deal. But this is one of the greatest love stories in the scripture. And like all great love stories, it's surrounded by really haters. It's, it's interesting. If you look at the great love stories that have been written, there's always, there's always a foil. There's always a hater. Right? And so you have Romeo and Juliet and this great love story. What do you have? You have families who hate each other in the midst of that love. In the great pride and prejudice, you have Mr. Darcy. Oh, Mr. Darcy. But you have Mr. Wickham. And you have Lady Catherine. And some of the guys are like, what are you even talking about? Ask your wives about pride and prejudice. They'll tell you why you failed to be Mr. Darcy in so many ways. Um, in the Princess Bride, you have Humperdinck, but you have Wesley. Wesley, oh, as you wish. Oh, I wish you would say as you wish to me, honey, right? And, and Han and Leia, you have Darth Vader. Whatever, you go through all the stories. You have the love story, but in the midst of that, you have hate. And the point is that love shines in the darkness. In our text today, we have two groups of hate. But sandwiched right in the middle, you have this beautiful picture of love, right? And there's supposed to be this contrast. And so as we come to the text, what we want to see is where do I identify do I identify with the hater or with love? The question really we want to ask is, do I really love Jesus? I know if I asked you and you came in the room, most of you, even if you have no clue, you're like, if I say, hey, good morning, do you love Jesus? You'd be like, yes, yes. But the question is, do we really? And what we're going to see in this text is we're going to see what some signs of hate are, and we're going to see what signs of love are, not so we can feel guilty, but so that we can, again, reorient. If we find these, these hate things in our lives, that we would reorient towards love. Jesus is moving rapidly towards the cross, and the closer he gets, the more evident it is who loves him and who hates him. And so we're going to see that this morning. Hopefully, we'll be able to identify and deal with our own hearts. So let me read our text uh, of scripture in its entirety, and we'll come back and we'll unpack it. Chapter 26, verse 1. When Jesus had finished all these things, all these things is the Olivet Discourse, uh, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon, the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble this woman? 
For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. So the text picks up right after the Olivet Discourse, right on that Wednesday, right? The day before he will be betrayed, Jesus finished and he tells him exactly what's gonna happen, right? Okay, two days, Passover. And the Son of Man on two days will be delivered up to be crucified. It's amazing how dense the disciples are or how ineffective Jesus' teaching is to them because he has told them time and time and time again, this is going to happen. It's like the fourth time just in this gospel. And in and different times, they have different responses. One time it just goes over their head and two of them are like, yeah, that's great. But where do we get to sit in the kingdom? Can I sit next to you, Jesus? And then another time he, he says it and Peter says, no, 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 no. That's not gonna happen to you, Jesus. No way. And other times it says they're distressed. Here it doesn't say they say anything. But you would have thought by now, they would be like, on, on Friday, they'd be like waiting at the cross. I know everyone's sad, but don't worry, it's good Friday and Easter's coming. But they're not. It, it's, it's, they just don't see it, which is why God has to send the spirit, the helper, so that we will have our eyes open to what he is doing. But he is very specific, and this is important, about what is gonna happen. He says, in two days, I will be delivered. In two days, I will be crucified on the Passover. Why on the Passover? Because he is the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, Right? And why is it important that he will be delivered and crucified? Because it shows that he understands it's not the Jews that are gonna ultimately kill him, it's Rome. Because the Jews had no authority to kill anybody or crucify anybody. So he will be crucified, thus he knows that it's the Romans who are ultimately gonna kill him. And that's important because what what is said next, verse three. Chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar among the people. This would have been shocking to the original audience because their chief priest, the chief religious dude and all his underlings are plotting together to kill an innocent man. The one where justice is supposed to be upheld and righteousness proclaimed, these are the ones who are corrupt. And they are looking for an opportunity to kill. And notice what they say contradicts what Jesus said. They said, we can't kill him during the feast. They're in a period of, of, of the religious uh, holidays for, for Israel. There's three big feasts, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. It's an eight-day feast. And there's so many people in Jerusalem. They said, if we do that, there's gonna be an uproar. There'll be a riot is the literal Greek word. So we have to wait till after. Jesus says, no, it's gonna happen on Passover. They're like, no, it's gonna happen after. Jesus said, it's gonna be Rome who kills me. They're gonna say, no, we're gonna kill him. So there's already a contradiction here of what's going on, what's gonna really happen, right? But we gotta ask the question, why do they hate him so much? I mean, is it because he's a stingy dude? Couldn't be, he was generous. Is it because he wasn't kind? No, he was the kindest person who ever walked the earth. Is it because he's arrogant? He was the most humble person to ever walk the earth. So why do they hate him so? There's two reasons, I think. And, and there's probably more, but there's two big reasons. And, the, and we wanna sit here for a minute because this is what a hater does. This is what haters do, and we gotta identify, am I, am I a hater? The first reason they hate him is because they're envious of him. Haters are envious. 
Even, even Pilate, he says in chapter 27, he realizes that they delivered him over. Why? Because they were envious of him. Because they, they, he, what he, the people were listening to him. Envy, jealousy is the path to being a hater. Where you want something so bad that that person or that family has, maybe it's their career, maybe it's their boyfriend, maybe it's their kids, maybe it's their car, maybe it's their success, maybe it's I get to see on Facebook how great their vacations are and how healthy their meals are and look at ours as we get to Wendy's five for five. Whatever it is that you see what they have and you want it. So much so that maybe you wouldn't say it like these guys. But you're thinking it, why does everything always go well for them? I just wish once it would rain on their wedding day. I wish their kid would strike out. I wish their kid wouldn't get into this college. I wish that something bad would happen. And we wouldn't maybe say it, but we think it, right? That we think it. And if that's you in any way, here's a test if you're a hater. Can you celebrate when their kid succeeds and your kid doesn't? Can you celebrate when they get the raise and you don't? That's, that's a hater, right? And the opposite, what's the opposite of hate, of envy, of jealousy? It's contentment or thankfulness, right? Paul says that godliness with contentment is of great gain. Thankfulness, what we see throughout the scripture, we're to be thankful, we're to be thankful. My wife showed me this little video last night, this little Real or TikTok or I don't know what it was, but she showed it to me. And it was just, the title was, uh, when your kid says you never get anything for them. And so this dad walks around the house and he turns on the faucet for the water and he puts a bow on it. And then he goes to the, the light switch and he flips on the light and he puts a bow on it. And he opens the pantry and there's a box of Apple Jacks and he puts a bow on it. And it's, the point is this, I don't give you anything, you live here for free. And, and, and what do we do sometimes? Oh, I wish I had this, I wish... You just breathed, thank God. Your heart just beated a couple times, thank God. You have a house, we have AC in here. And the idea is we should be content because if God is good, and he is, and he is a good father, then he has given you exactly what you need. And if you didn't get the promotion, that means it wasn't good for you. And if you're not married yet, then that means that's, that's where he wants you right now. And we gotta learn to be content with where we're at. Even that you are fearfully and wonderfully, you don't look like that person. I'm not 6'8 like Clint. I also don't have knee issues like Clint. (laughs) I'm content. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are exactly where God wants you to be right now. Can you be content in that? Even if it's not where you, what they have. See, that's the difference between love and hate. That's one reason they hate him. What's another reason? Here's the other reason. Because he told the truth. Because he called them out. We just read John 3, 16 and 17. We sang it. John 3, 19 says this. This is judgment. This is the same passage Jesus is talking about. This is judgment. Light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light. For their works were evil. What is he saying? They don't like me because I tell the truth and they love their sin more than me. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. So why? So they don't see. Jesus just told the truth. And they didn't like it because the truth contradicted their life. 
And what, what Jesus shows us is you can be the most humble, loving, compassionate person and speak the truth and people will still hate you because they always love their sin more than they love him. And, and this, is, this is what we can expect. This is our world in a world where everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And if you, in a loving way, in a humble way, hold fast to what God has said, you will be called a bigot. You will be called narrow-minded. You will be called a something-phobe. It will happen. It will happen. Why? Because haters oppose truth. They oppose God. And we can't be shocked at it. We shouldn't be shocked at it. They murdered the most compassionate, loving person who ever walked the face of the earth. So what makes you think they're gonna like you? Right? We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Greeks, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of of God. We do not have to apologize for holding fast to the truth. We're not arrogant. We're not browbeating. We're not yelling at people. We're not hateful, but we don't have to fear standing on the word of God. Why? Because God's word cannot be stopped. Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And this text shows who is really in control here. Who's in control, the chief priest or Jesus? Jesus is in control, right? He is sovereign even over their evil intent. They said, oh, we can't kill him until after eight days. He said, no, 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 you will. And it won't actually be you, it will be Rome. You think you're gonna kill me? You're not gonna kill me. The Romans are gonna kill me. He is in sovereign control. And it just reminds us how foolish it is to try to oppose God. We saw what happens in the Olivet Discourse when people try to oppose the lamb, a sword from his mouth. Simple as that. But the psalmist reminds us, Psalm 2, an unread psalm, because it's not Mr. Positive Psalm, but here's what the psalmist says. Why do the, this is God speaking. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers that counsel together against Yahweh and against his anointed, his Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. And I love this line. He who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. He holds them in derision. You think you can stop almighty God. You think you can stop my plan. You think that you can do what you want and I, and I don't care. The application comes at the end of this psalm. Therefore, kings, be wise, be warned. Rulers of the earth, serve the Lord. Don't resist, serve with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, kiss the Messiah. Kneel, bend the knee, lest he be angry, lest you perish. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him, not oppose him. If you're here today and you're like, I don't need this God, I don't want this God, I, this, is, this is dumb, I would, I, would, I would plead with you, kiss the son. Don't oppose this one who loves you. Don't oppose this one who will come to rule and reign with a rod of iron one day. If you're blessed, where? When you take refuge in him, not when you fight him, when you bend the knee to him. Don't hate being envious, don't hate opposing what is good and what is true. And then we come to the actual love story in the story, verse six. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head and as he reclined at the table. Key word is when Jesus was at Bethany. Why is this key? Because there's those who are gonna attack the scriptures and say, see, there's an error in the scripture because John's gospel puts this event six days prior to the Passover. Matthew and Mark both put it after this discussion, but they don't put it there because they're, they're, it's a chronological thing. 
okay? So see, if you're looking for mistakes in the Bible, you'll go into a passage like this and be like, ah, ha, ha, mistake. But when you start with the premise that God's word is true and he does not lie, then there's an easy solution to this. And the solution is Jesus, Matthew doesn't say on Wednesday, Jesus was at Bethany. He says, no, when he was in Bethany, sometimes the gospel writers put things out of order because they're trying to prove a point. And what Matthew does is he takes something that happened a few days earlier and he puts it here because he's trying to show the contrast between Judas and Caiaphas and for Matthew, an unnamed woman. He's trying to show you, here's the high priest who's supposed to be godly. He's not. Here's one of the 12 who's supposed to be godly. He defects. Here's an unnamed woman. He doesn't even name her who is honored highly. Now, does he not name her because he doesn't know who she is? He actually does know who she is. Um, He knows her very well. So why doesn't he name her? I think it's significant because this is the way the kingdom works. Who are the most highly honored in the kingdom? The servants, the unnamed, right? The unnamed. Now we do know from John's gospel who she is, thank God. But so six days earlier, there's 17 at least of them in this house of Simon the leper. You have the 12, you have Jesus, you have a man named Lazarus, you have his sister Martha, and you have his other sister, Mary, who is the unnamed woman in Matthew's gospel. And they're there right after Matthew, uh, Lazarus has been raised from the dead, all right? It's kind of a celebration, I guess, for a, a coming back to life party for Lazarus, okay? And, and they're in the house of Simon the leper, who is apparently no longer a leper because they wouldn't be eating with him because Jesus apparently at some point had healed him. So you can imagine the conversation. How's it feel to be healed from leprosy? It feels great. How does it feel not to be dead anymore? Great, you know, this is a great discussion around the meal. And some point after the meal, Mary takes an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment and she pours it on that. She breaks it and pours it on his head. And this is one of those things that's a one and done, okay? There's not a lid to unscrew, you know, a child safety lid or something. Once you break it and pour it out, it's donezo. It's over. It is a one-shot deal, okay? And so what's significant about this? This, this alabaster flask was a very expensive flask. She would have had it for one of two reasons. It was a, probably a family heirloom that was given to her. It was probably meant for her to be her dowry, that one day she would get married and she would give it to her husband and then go put a down payment on a house or get a minivan or whatever. Or it was used for her, was gonna be used for her death one day. Either way, it's a picture of her security it's a picture of her for her future. She basically took her 401k and she cashed it all in at one moment. And it was worth 300 denarii, according to the other gospels, that they could sell it for 300 denarii. That's a year's salary. Take one year of your salary, whatever that is, one year. And she just took that one year and she poured it out, one shot deal on Jesus. And it says it poured it on her, his body. John's gospel said it actually, she poured it also on his feet and then she washed his feet with her hair, right? That's what she does. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant. They were, literally the word means to snort. They're like, what? Why this waste? We could have sold this for a large sum. We could have given it to the poor. And when we find out from John's gospel here, they're all in it. But in John's gospel, it reveals that it was started by one guy, Judas. And it's not because he cared about the poor. It's because he, st- he was the treasurer and he would steal constantly from the money. So he starts, oh, I can't believe this. And then Peter's like, yeah, what's wrong with you? And then Andrew's like, yeah. And they're all like ganging up 
on poor sweet Mary. I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe you would do this. And Jesus nips it in the bud. He says, leave her alone in the other, in the other gospels. Why do you trouble her? You see it as a waste. Literally the word waste means destruction or ruin. You see it as a waste. I see it as beautiful. What she has done is beautiful. You will always have the poor. There'll always be opportunities to feed the poor. There'll always be around, but I won't be much longer. 42 days-ish, 46 days-ish, depending on, you know, if that's Saturday. So yeah, he's got less than, less than two months left. The time is short for me, for her to show this kind of affection and love and honor to me while I'm here. Leave her alone. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. This is another reason I think Matthew and Mark both put this here, because it's in the context of his death. And that's what he's talking about. She is going to prepare me like the Jewish rites for burial because that's what they did with their, with their dead. She's getting me ready for what is to come. And then he says this great statement. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. You ever hear the story in Romania before? They've heard it in Romania. We're talking about it today? Yeah, that's, Jesus said it, it's true. The whole world knows what this unnamed, this Mary does. Why? Because she's faithful and because she loves Jesus. And she has shown us one of the greatest acts of devotion and love in the gospel outside of Jesus laying down his life. She gave her most valuable possession in the world, something that had been in a family for generations. She mortgaged her future. She gave it all and poured it out on Jesus, right? And if, what do you think, she, her sister, if she would you think if she went to Martha and said, Martha, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think I should do? What do you think Martha would have said? Are you crazy? I mean, I love Jesus too. I'm just gonna knit him an Afghan. You don't need to give this. I'm gonna get him a cup of coffee. No one would have said, yeah, that's a great idea. But here's what Mary gets and we need to get. Here's what love does. Love gives. Love gives. God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were sinners, what? Christ died. He gives. He gives. And look, when you live in this way, there's always gonna be those who will try to discourage you. Who is trying to discourage in this passage? The disciples. The ones who are gonna write the New Testament, the ones who are supposed to be these godly guys, they're the ones trying to discourage the worship and love of Jesus. And there's gonna be some, if you go all in, you know what they're gonna say? You're gonna use your vacation for what? To go on a ministry trip? Are you crazy? You're gonna leave this great career to go and stay home with kids? Are you crazy? You're gonna serve in that ministry over there? Don't you, you, have, don't you have a law degree? Don't you have a PhD? Are you crazy? Who's the crazy one in the text? The disciples or Mary? Mary. It's not crazy. Mary's the wisest one in the text. She's the one who is honored and still being honored today. Why? Because love gives, right? Love gives. And it's interesting how our culture, we have no problem honoring the philanthropists of the day, right? If someone gives to the new religion of, of ecology and, the, and, and Mother Earth and gives, oh, Bill Gates gave billions of dollars to fight this and to save the planet. We have no problem with that. Someone wants to give their life for Jesus. Are you crazy? You must be cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. That's because that's the, the difference of the kingdom, in our world. There will always be someone who will try to temper your love for God. Don't believe them. Because love gives and love believes. Love believes. 
Why does Mary give everything? Because she believes Jesus is worth it. She believes, like the, the, the parable says, that he is the treasure hidden in a field and a man discovers it and sells all he has with joy so that he can buy the field. And she actually believes it. She believes it, that he is her highest treasure. So what do we learn from her? You gotta ask a question. It's a serious question, and you gotta ask it, and I gotta ask it. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he is the highest treasure? Would you break the alabaster flask? Or would you be like, "Ah, I mean, I'll get you some coffee and make you some cheesecake, but I don't know about the alabaster flask, right? What Mary gets that we need to grasp is if, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he does and has done what he says he has done, then he is worthy of more than our tip of the hat and 90 minutes on Sunday morning. He's worth more than that, right? If he is who he says he is, if he truly is the one who upholds the universe in his right hand, and he truly loves you like he said he is, then he is worth more than saying, okay, I'll give you this area of my life, but don't touch this. Don't touch this little relationship. Don't touch this, this little habit. Don't touch this, I just love this show. I know it's garbage and it tur- rots my soul, but don't touch it. I'll sing a song on Sunday. I'll even serve in the nursery once in a while, but just don't. If he is who he says he is, then he is worth more than just keeping him over here and then keeping this box over here. He just is. He is, if he is who he says he is and he's done what he said he has done, then he is worth more than, than oh yeah, I'll give, but... I'll give after I pay this and after I buy that and after I spend money on myself and get all the things and whatever's left over, then I'll give. I'll give that 13 cents, right? Or whatever it is. And I did a little research this morning, actually. I looked online. The average giving of the average Christian to the average church in America is $2,700 per family, right? $2,700, which is not horrible if you make $27,000 a year. But most of us, unless you're in college, then you make $2,700 a year total. But most of us make more than that. And praise God, our church, super generous, more than doubles that average. But the reality is this, what you give shows what you treasure. It just does. And if you're like, I got all these things and then I'll give what's left over, it shows what you treasure. It just does. And I'm not asking for your money. I don't care what you do with your money. I don't know who gives what and that's fine. But here's what I do know. What you give shows what you treasure. And Americans spend more on Verizon Wireless than they do on the kingdom. That is the reality. And that's true of some of y'all. Because I know what my cell phone bill is and it's like $350 a month. I got five kids and four kids and five cell phones. But that if you spill more on Verizon and more on Comcast than you do on the kingdom, what do you treasure? You gotta ask. If you're if you're saying, well, I'll obey up to a point, but don't ask me to don't ask me to stop here. Okay, I'll I'll stop talking about that person, but forgive them, Mm-mm. bless them, pray for them. Can't do that. Then are you treasuring him? Or if you come to the scripture and say, okay, I like this passage. God so loved the world. I like that. I don't like the next part though. Repent of sin. I don't like that. I don't like you talking about 
gender. I don't like you talking about sexual expression outside of marriage. Don't, I'll leave those parts out. I'll just talk about the love of God. If he is who he says he is, if he's done what he said he's done, then it's either all true or none of it is. And if I love God, I obey him. Not perfectly, because none of us are. But whatever your propensity towards whatever sin, what is, what is the call? I take up my cross, I deny myself, and I follow him. Because that's the only way we'll be satisfied. I know that we think, oh, no, I'll be satisfied if I get another this, another that, another this. You were created by God to know him, and you will only be satisfied when you delight in him fully. You can try it. Solomon tried it. He tried to satisfy himself with everything the world has to offer, and he was richer than everybody. And he came to the conclusion, it's all vanity. It's all vanity. Because you were created to know God, and if you do not pursue him and delight in him, you will never be truly happy. You will never be truly satisfied, right? He's either your treasure or he's not. He's either, he is or he isn't. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You go all in, right? You go all in and, and he's the one who will matter. What he thinks will matter. So love gives and love believes. And then we kind of conclude with Judas and we'll see him more in a couple weeks. Must have been the straw that broke the camel's back for old Judas. One of the 12, his name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what do you give me if I deliver them over to you? And they paid him 30 stinking pieces of silver, which is not even, a, it's like a month's salary. It's nothing. It's the cost of an Old Testament servant. It's actually a fulfillment of a prophet, prophecy in Zechariah. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. But he said, what, what, is it, what is Jesus worth to him? Nothing. Nothing compared to Mary. What do the chief priests think of him? Nothing. He's the price of a servant. Nothing. Why? Because they're haters. And there's all sorts of reasons we could talk about Judas. Judas loved money. Judas was possessed by Satan, we'll see. But here's Judas's ultimate problem, and this is where we land, right? Judas didn't get from Jesus what Judas wanted, so Judas is out. Judas wanted a Messiah who was gonna come in and rule and reign and knock Rome in the mouth. That wasn't the Messiah that Jesus was. Judas was, was all fine with being part of the 12, and everyone's like, oh, look, here's Jesus, and look at all the miracles, and look at all the stuff. But when Jesus starts loving and forgiving and gonna lay his life down, no, 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 that's not the kind of Messiah I want. I'm out. Haters are in it for themselves. Wait, I'll do this if you do that. I'll go here, but you gotta do this. that. That's what happens. What this looks like in the church is, yeah, I'll, I'll go to church, and, and I'll be fine, and I'll do my thing as long as God comes through on his end is that we're healthy, wealthy, and wise. My kid gets into this school and I do this and do this and pastor never hurts my feelings and tells me stuff. You know, oh, he said something that hurt my feelings. I'm out. Look, I'm sorry I call out Georgia. Some of y'all just need to stop worshiping false idols. Right? Or this person over the church, they didn't call me when I was sick. Or this person over here, they, didn't, they hurt my feelings and they ignore me. Look, that's life. But this idea where I do my part, God does his part, and if God doesn't come with him, if my air conditioner breaks or my transmission drops or I didn't get the promotion or I didn't, my kid didn't get into this school, then I'm out because I've been doing my part. That's not Christianity. That's Baal worship. Sacrifice to Baal, good crops, right? Offer Baal, I, good harvest. That's not Christianity. Christianity is I am treasured above all else, whether it's good, bad, or ugly. Why? Because I am better. That's how I consider it all joy when I encounter various trials, right? That's how, because he is better. And, I, and we got to ask the question. Some of us, are you in it for yourself? Sometimes. 
If you're right, I mean, I have all, I'm thinking about this week. We got all these things going on. I don't know what it always comes in like seasons. I got water leak the house, and now I got an air conditioning out, and I got you know car with this and CV joints over here, and it's like, but I'm preaching the Bible. You should make my car last forever. It should make a million miles. I should have no air condition issues, right? I'm trying to be faithful, Lord. Is that the way it is? Is that the way I believe? Can't be. I'm never gonna get sick. No, you're gonna get sick, right? I don't care how much you go to the gym. You're all going to die. I don't care how healthy you eat. You're going to die. Where's your treasure? What are you in it for? Because what Judas shows this, Judas's treasure is what? Judas. Judas is his own treasure. And he betrays the son of God. Right? That's what we don't want to be. And, and the question is this. I was listening to a sermon this week. It was super helpful, encouraging to me. I want to share the idea with you. How do we, be, how do we become like Mary? That's the question we got to ask, right? How do I get there? And this text doesn't answer. And it can feel daunting, because let's be honest. If you had the alabaster flask, are you going to break it? Are you going to break it? Some of us, maybe nine out of ten times, no. So how do we get there? How did Mary get there? And don't think that Mary, and the first time she met Jesus, hi, I'm Jesus, hi, I'm Mary, break it open and pour it on his head. That's not how it happened. But I think there is a story in the Gospels that lead, uh, help us understand why Mary did what she did here and why she is honored. And it's not even in this Gospel, it's in the Gospel of Luke. Some of you remember the story. Talava taught on it a couple years ago. Is Jesus is in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Martha She's in the kitchen cooking. She's got fried chicken and mac and cheese and she's, she's cooking it up and there's an Arnold Palmer for Jesus and she's doing it. And where's Mary? Mary's in the living room with Jesus. And Martha was hot for my sister. She goes, Jesus, will you please tell her I need her help? She, I got, I, somebody needs to run to Publix and get some more stuff and I, I tell her to get off her tail and get out here and help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're so stressed out and worried. Only one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the better portion, right? Mary is, is wise. Why does Mary love Jesus so much? Because Mary spent time sitting at the feet of Jesus whenever she could. And that's why a couple years later, when it's opportunity for her to anoint him and prepare him, she does it. And I think for some of us, this is, this is a great lesson for me because we got our to-do list. You are already thinking about, okay, you got your like, okay, well, my appointments this week and I got a baseball game on Tuesday and I got to drive the kids in there and I got, I'm cooking this meal for them. And you got your to-do list. On your to-do list anywhere, is there sit at the feet of Jesus? Or is that an afterthought? Because he would say there's only one thing that's necessary. And if you want to get to this place where she, you're willing to break the alibi blaster blast, Flask, you gotta be willing to sit at the feet of Jesus sometimes. And I think it'd be wise for you, some of you right now to pull out that phone and put it on the calendar. And I know you have that option. You can put it one-time event or you can have a repeated event. I know because I do it with my dog medicine every month, flea and tick medicine time, and it reminds me. You can set that reminder every day that the thing will go, ping, sit at the feet of Jesus. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Just remind you, hey, Take some time, open God's word. Let the spirit of God 
reveal to you what he is saying to you. And then you can speak back to him and pray and, and respond. And what you're gonna see as you do that is not that here he is demanding you lay down your life. What you're gonna see is he laid down his life first for you. You're not gonna see him demanding you to break your alabaster flesh. What you're gonna see is he was the one that was broken first and poured out for you. You're not gonna see that he's demanding you love him. You're gonna see that he loved us first. And you're gonna see the plethora of ways in which he did so and which he continues to do so. But it's over time, as you sit at the feet of Jesus, you'll grow into a place where you'd be willing to break that flask and say, wherever you go, want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. And it may not get your name written in the history books or wall of fame or might not get a Smithsonian Institute exhibit after your name. You might be unnamed, except he knows. He knows. Think about the impact. I was thinking about this this week. I don't know how long nard lasts. Is it like Old Spice? Is it just like 24 hours or does nard last a long time? But I imagine that Jesus on the cross, six days later, that as he's hanging there nailed, and, and we'll see this in a couple of weeks, but when you're crucified, you actually die from suffocation, not from you know, your nails, hands in your, nail, hands in your uh, nails in your hands and side pierced. You die because you have to lift your body up to breathe, and then you fall back down. And eventually, you're, you're so weak that you can't lift your, your body up anymore to breathe, and you suffocate. But I'm wondering, as Jesus is on the cross and he's only there for six hours as he lifts his body up and he breathes, I wonder if he could still smell that nard in his hair just lingering on his body. And as he looks down, there's only a few people that actually have the guts to be at the cross and they're mostly women. Mary, his mother, and his aunt. And it does say that there's, it didn't give their names, but it says several women stood at a distance. Only John, John's the only apostle that makes it. But he says, several women stood at a distance. I bet my 401k that Mary and Martha were one of those ones standing at a distance. I wonder if he looked out and saw them 100 feet from him and smelled that lingering, just that little bit of nard. And if he just was reminded of her love, what an encouragement in that moment as the father pours out his wrath on the son that he, he's reminded of, his, of her love, right? That fragrant aroma. And Paul takes that image and says, you and I, we're supposed to be that fragrant aroma of Christ to those who are perishing and to those who are saved, that there should be a lingering aroma of Jesus on us, right? Because we love him, because we give, because we believe, and ultimately, because we sit at the feet of Jesus. That's what love, if you get nothing else out of this week, love sits at the feet of Jesus. Will you do that this week? Would you be willing to set some time, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, in the morning, at lunch, at night, I don't know when, whatever's best for your schedule, sit at the feet of the Savior. Ask the Spirit of God to impress upon you what God wants you to know, believe, hear, the Holy Spirit still speaks, y'all. He's in us and he speaks and he reveals God's word to us. Would you ask? And if you see envy in your heart, if you see some opposition and resistance in your heart, if you see suppression of worship in your heart, own that, repent of it, 
We all see that. I see it. I see it in myself. I know you do too. Right? We're not asking for perfection. We just want to sit at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to have an opportunity as a church to do that right now. We're going to remember the Lord's table together. We're going to do it this week and next week because next week's text actually is about the Lord's table. So we're going to do it again. But this is an opportunity for you right now to, to sit at the feet of Jesus. And, and so some men and women are going to hand out a piece of bread, unleavened bread, because it pictures the sinless body of Christ and it has piercings in it because it pictures the pierced body of Christ. And it's got some, like, some bruising on it, it looks like. That's because Christ was bruised for us. And he, they're gonna give you a cup and that pictures the blood of Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins, the blood of the new covenant. And if you're a Christian this morning, we would invite you to partake. If you're not a Christian, no pressure. In fact, we would just invite you not to partake because this is a reminder for those who have put their faith in Christ of what he has done. But I want you to sit individually for a few moments at the feet of Jesus in just some awkward quiet, which is okay. It's okay to be quiet sometimes. Confess unconfessed sin. Be thankful where you haven't been. Own your failure, own your lack of love just for a few moments. And, and we're not gonna take together at one time today. I want you to take after you spend some time just thinking, reflecting, thanking, you take when you're ready. And the team will start singing and you can stand when you're ready to worship. Uh, where as a corporate group, we're gonna partake individually. Right? And I just want you to remember how much God loves you that he gave himself for you. That he gave himself for you. And you're holding those things in your hand that picture and remind you, this should have been me, it wasn't. This blood should have been me, it wasn't. This wrath of God, rightly on my sin, was poured out on someone else. Why? Because God loves first. So let me pray, and y'all can come down and start handing it out, and then just partake, partake when you're ready, and then stand and sing when you're ready. Father, thank you for your love demonstrated in Christ. We fail in our love constantly. And we need reminders like Mary to show us what it looks like again. And so may this be a moment of a reminder and encouragement to us to love because you loved us first. Thank you for the opportunity to remember it, uh, to reflect on it. You're so good to us. Um, and so just use this as a catalyst of love and change that we will be willing, if asked, to give the al- to break the alabaster flask in our lives, whatever that is. So in Christ's name I pray, amen.